0: If you have a Bible or device, you can go ahead and, and uh, open it to Romans chapter 12, and I promise you, we're going to get there in a few moments. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders, one of the pastors here at the church. If you're visiting with us, we are very grateful that you're here. Uh, this is a spiritual family, and we try to behave that way. Um, it's not, church is not something you go to. Church is something you are. And so this is a meeting of the church. Uh, and the church being the people of God. Have you ever, speaking of church, have you ever in, invited someone to church and thought to yourself, I sure hope nothing weird happens? <laughs> oh, so I'm talking to the right crowd. Uh, to be fair, the church as a whole has done a lot of weird things. Uh, sometimes they've done them as an effort to fit in, and sometimes. They've done them in an effort to stand out. Um, Brother John, uh, my father-in-law, pastored here for 27 years, uh, Donna's dad. He used to tell a story about leading a prayer meeting, and this, uh, this lady showed up holding a bird cage, uh, and it had a bird in it. It was a, a dove. And as she walked into the prayer meeting, they all looked suspiciously her way, and she said, I'm bringing the Holy Spirit with me. Uh, these days, we call those uh, emotional support pets, but uh, <laughs> she just hauled the Holy Spirit around with her, so that's that's a little weird. Uh, I remember one time uh, at a church that I was at before this church, uh, we had a traveling worship leader come through, and he was standing at the microphone with his guitar, and he was leading in songs that nobody really knew, and we were all a little uncomfortable, and he started praying and singing and playing and and praying, and all of a sudden he roared as a lion. And we all popped our heads up like, what was that? It felt like James Earl Jones doing his very best Mufasa in our church. That was a little weird. Uh, uh, Some of us remember John Jacobs and the power team. Yeah. Uh, Now, that was a weird group. Uh, They were a team of bodybuilding preachers who uh, tore things up like telephone books, and broke out of handcuffs and scared little children. And <laughs> it, was, it was a little weird. Last Sunday, at a megachurch in Tulsa, they put on an Easter production that was complete with high-end pyrotechnics, uh, gyrating dancers, dry ice, and they covered songs by Keisha, Justin Timberlake, and Beyonce. Uh, people weren't sure if they were at church or at the Super Bowl halftime show. Maybe a little weird. We're not having any gyrating dancers here today unless, well, well, never mind. The fear of being weird has caused a lot of church leaders to think the way to reach people means we have to be relatable, where we make God relevant, and show that we're not that different, and that we're not out of touch, and to explain that our beliefs don't fall too far outside the mainstream. Here's the problem. Following Jesus is not mainstream. It's upstream. God is not culturally relevant. He's holy. And we should be out of sync with the world because the world is out of step with God. Um, A leader that I'm really growing to respect a lot named Trevin Wax, he writes this, in a world that sees religion as just being a good person or a bit of spiritual inspiration for living your best life, we claim a crucified man from the first century got up out of his grave and is now king of the world to whom everyone on earth owes allegiance. Now just consider how weird that is for someone who doesn't follow Jesus. We're a little weird. A journalist and podcaster who is not a believer named Ezra Klein, he says this, what I as an outsider to Christianity have always found most beautiful about it is how strange it is. Strange, indeed, but also compelling. At least I hope we will be. But just imagine showing up this morning and you have no previous church experience. You have no firsthand knowledge of what the Bible teaches. You're probably gonna wig out just a little. (laughs) It's gonna be a little bit confusing, maybe overwhelming and daunting. All this singing about Sacrifice and being washed in blood and and all the singing about founts of blessing and flaming tongues above that 's a little scary, and these folks are going to probably trip out a little bit they 're going to be concerned, and then everyone comes up to them and shakes their hand and greets them and and acts like they 're very interested and And you start hearing people talk about being healed, about being set free, about God speaking to them. And then you open the Bible and start reading what Jesus had to say about money and possessions and power and sexuality. Then you marvel at the obvious joy that this group of people has about an innocent man being nailed to a cross. I'd say it's a little weird. To the uninitiated it's outside the norm. It's strange. In Peter's first letter, he writes about the church, and I think he pegs it pretty well. He writes this in 1 Peter 2.9. I know we'll get to Romans 12 later, don't forget. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we all sitting here today would probably define the word peculiar as something that's odd or strange, certainly uncommon. But when the King James Version was translated in the year 1611, the word peculiar often referred to something belonging to someone, as in property that belongs to someone. And so Peter is not really saying that we are odd, but he is saying we belong to God, that we are his own special possession. But here's the thing. The fact that we are God's own possession makes us odd. (laughs) it makes us a little weird. It makes it strange for people that don't grasp that. And I think that we as the followers of Jesus Christ ought to take this label of peculiarity and own it. Let it be said of us, not just me and Jay, That we're a little odd. They say that about us all the time. Let it be said of the church that it's strange in the way that they love and the way that they serve and the way that they offer themselves for something that is beyond themselves. Let it be said that God's people is not in step with the culture in which we live, but as a beacon of light to the culture in which we live like a city set on a hill. I realize uh, there's a place for offering rational reasons. It's called apologetics. And I I believe that we should be prepared for that. I believe we need to have a, a better understanding of what culture is about and what motivates them so that we can better be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us. I definitely believe that We should be prepared in such ways. But arguments alone seldom win people to Christ. Hear me. Arguments alone seldom win people to Christ. It takes the wooing of the Holy Spirit. It takes the otherness of an almighty God. It takes the holiness of a triune God to draw us to himself. And when we prioritize the church as being relevant, when we make that our chief aim and goal, then we're moving onto thin ice. Because it's in that place where we find a watered-down gospel, and where we find the minimization of sin, and where we find a reduction of the essential truths of the Christian faith. It also makes church boring. It makes it like just one option of many that's out there in the world. We become like all the other things out there vying for people's attention, competing for their loyalty. The world doesn't need that kind of church. The world needs a church that offers more than just a replica of what it already has. We are called to point the way to a path less traveled, We are called to offer hope for a journey seldom taken. We are called to help people see the light that they too can be brought out of darkness and into marvelous light. Now, when I say that we should own our peculiarity, I'm not talking birdcage kind of peculiarity. All right? I'm not talking trinket kind of curiosity. I'm not talking being weird for weird's sake. You know people that do that, they just, it becomes a part of their brand to, to be weird. I'm not talking about being strange just to be noticed by your peers or to stand out. I'm talking about being the kind of different that makes a difference the kind of noticeable change in your relationship uh, to the Lord and your marriage and the way you raise your children and the way you do your job and the way you don't cheat on your taxes and the way you bless another neighbor and the way that you go out of your way to prefer someone and the way that you're friendly on the interstate. (laughs) That just came out of my mouth. I'm talking about being different in a way that makes an appeal to people to come be different with us. I'm not talking about being weird to weird people out. Amen. But I do still think the bigger challenge for us today as the body of Christ in this post-Christendom, post-modern secularized, self-made, self-determined, self-identifying world is to be the church of Jesus Christ and to make a statement with how we live our lives that we need to stand out more, that we need to be peculiar, that people need to be inquisitive as to why we are the way we are and why we live the way we do and what gives hope to us the way it seems to give hope. They need to be intrigued with our testimony, not put off by it. Probably the biggest way that we do that, well, let me just say, over the next two months, we're going to look at ways that the church needs to be the church in a culture that is adrift. We're going to look at some distinctions that God has called us to and how we can resonate with the Spirit resemble the God that we serve and attract those that need hope and life in their lives. And the way we're going to do it today is to see this one distinction, that we are called to be a community of loving relationships and a culture of expressive individualism. We're called to be a community of loving relationships in a culture of expressive individualism. Now, what does that mean? Well, America is known for its rugged individualism. We pride ourselves in it. We pride ourselves in pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and and being successful, doing it our own way. The guy that sings of New York, New York, what's his name? Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And he's proud about that. We are rugged individualists, and it has turned into over the years and decades and centuries into an expressive individualism that has isolated us from what would really benefit us. Robert Bella in The Habits of the Heart says, expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core and feeling of intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. And that is the goal. They promote that each individual should find out who they are. That individualization is the ultimate goal of human life. Now, I'm turning the thermostat up. Are you all cold? Yeah, not so. I can control almost everything here. (laughs) except for the mic and the lights. So they still are more powerful than I am. (laughs) It's basically individualism, expressive individualism, is where we look inside to discover who we are. We look inside first, and then we look at everyone around us to validate what we've discovered. And if you don't validate what I've found out to be true about myself, then you're a bigot or you hate me. We, as expressive individualists, look inward, and then we look for validation outward, but we never look upward. And that's where wisdom is to be found. We hear expressive individualism in the slogans that people use. You be you. You do you. You, you be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. Right? Right? But such individualism is isolating. It might seem heroic to cast off the expectations of others, but in the end, when you let it go like Elsa did on Frozen, you eventually wind up in an ice prison of your own making. Was it worth it? Oh, sure, you're free, but are you As followers of Jesus, we're called to be a community of loving relationships that are integrated, that not only care about each other, but depend upon each other. And it's not about how I find myself inside. It's about how he identifies me from above and how he identifies us from above. So in a midst of a a culture of expressive individualism, we are called to be a community of loving relationships, which makes me think of Paul's admonition to Romans. See, I told you we'd get there. You were worried, I could tell. So Romans 12, and we're gonna read the whole chapter. So if you have a Bible, I would suggest opening it so you can read along. I know you like to see the words on the screen and that's really great, but I think it helps to read as it's being read to us. Romans Chapter 12, verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and brothers and sisters. that's what uh, my margin says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right off the bat, this tells me that worship is a whole lot more than the singing we do between 10 and 10:25 on Sunday morning. In fact, what we do singing is only a token of the worshipful act of laying our lives down. That's the worship that he's asking for. That we are to present everything about us as a living sacrifice. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, this world of expressive individualism. I could add that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The church is distinct. We are, we are set apart. We are to be holy, which means separate, just as the Lord himself is holy. We're to be strange to those outside, and we're to be made by his design, into one family. He uses this terminology, brothers and sisters. He has woven us, adopted us, grafted us into a new family. That's why when I say we are a spiritual family, it's not just speaking about a label of some sort. It's hopefully speaking about a reality of what God has done in us. That when I see you, I don't just see you as a friend, Or as a coworker, as someone who comes to church with me, I see you as a brother or as a sister. But Paul doesn't stop with the family analogy. He moves on to another metaphor, and that is the metaphor of a physical body. Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Boy, that cuts across individualism, doesn't it? That's the problem with expressive individualism. They think way more of themselves than they ought. They think just, they spend more time thinking of themselves more than they should. But he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This is common sense, biology. I have one nose. It would be weird if I had more than that. But I need that one nose to smell. I have two eyes. And my eyes don't do the same thing as my nose. But I need them both and they need each other. And we can go on, my elbow and my big toe and don't even talk about my feet that hurt all the time. I mean, we're a body that has many parts that is woven together and science can tell you what that all means. What I'm saying is that God wove a body together and he weaves his people together as one body Verse five, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he lists uh, not a a complete exhaustive list of giftings, but certainly some that are very important, some that we've seen operating today in the body. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts, Peter, in his exhortation. The one who contributes. By the way, we told you you can give your offerings online. (laughs) I don't want you to miss out. So if you've given your tithes and offerings today, great. But if not, there's a bucket back there you can do it online. There we go. (laughs) Because we're a part of the body. And the one who leads with zeal And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Wow. We're all members of one body. And the way those parts of the body, members of the body, work together means how well the body itself will work together. If I have parts of my body working against me, and trust me, the older I get, the more they do, it's not as much fun and it's not as much effectiveness but when they work in sync and in harmony and doing the things they should do, then my body works. it's just like the body of Christ. What's interesting to me is that now the rest of the chapter, Paul goes on to give 25 or more short staccato commands. Like pow, pow, pow. Oh, wow, sorry. Pow, 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 pow. Got your attention, didn't I? He is he is dropping some wisdom he is really lowering down into really bite-sized pieces how we are to live as brothers and sisters in a family and how we are to function in unity of a body so that God can use us for his glory. And here's what he says, verse nine. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, and it may not be possible because it takes two to reconcile, but live peaceably with all. Beloved. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Here's the, here's the, the one sentence that kind of captures it all. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. What a beautiful and compelling description of the people of God. We're interconnected. We are intertwined, dependent upon one another, where our intimacy with the Lord and with each other allows for us to have commitment towards each other and it's a safe place for us to have so have that. When our vulnerability, certainly that comes with a risk, is on the line, we can step into that place because we are woven together as a body with many parts. And yes, we are all unique and we all have a part to play and we all have giftings that he has given. But it requires that we all function together for the body of Christ to work. We are A peculiar people. We are a self-denying, peculiar people in a world of self-absorption and self-acclaim. Expressive individualism is out of sync with who God has called us to be because he has called us to proclaim a message that is God-centered for his glory and his alone. Do we live our lives and do we preach our words and do we love our neighbors that he would be glorified and he would be the center of it all? Again, I quote Trevin Wax who says, the gospel challenges the me with I am. The one who created and sustains us. Expressive individualism would have us look deep into our hearts to discover our inner essence and express that to the world. But the gospel shows how the depths of our hearts are steeped in sin. It claims that what we need most is not expression, but redemption. The way we win people to Christ is not by doing smoke and light shows at church. The way we win people to Christ is not by becoming more relevant more mainstream, so that they don't think we're weird. The way that we win people to Christ is by living drastically different from the way we used to. Because once we were in darkness, once we were slaves to our sin, but the only difference between one who is in light and one who is in dark is that the light of the world brought us there. The way we win people to Christ is to live our lives with humility and love, with honor and service, with zeal for the Lord and compassion for others, in peace with each other and those outside, and not demanding that we get our own way or getting even when we don't. It means loving our enemies. and it means not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. For we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, peculiar in so many ways, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and brought us into light. Amen. My wife is going to come and we're going to pray for you. What a blessing always to have her come and join me. We want to pray for anyone this morning that is struggling in these areas and believing God to help us all. Go ahead, sweetie. The
1: the concept of us being a spiritual family, a community of believers who are living counterculturally, um, always makes me go back to the original word about fellowship, which is koinonia. And inside this word is another use of the word, and I don't, I'm not gonna pronounce this correctly, but it's kalos kagathos, and it means the good and the good. And it says that through fellowship, we are good inwardly with God, and then we can do good outwardly to others, and that there really isn't any good out there if there's not any good in here. And I think sometimes in our effort to not be peculiar, we focus on just doing good as though the actions speak louder than the heart, and they don't. I don't know how many times I hear someone say about someone else, they're doing good things. And I'm looking at their life of pain and unforgiveness and disappointment, and I think, really? They're, they're doing something good? I don't think we really realize how much the good has to come from the source of our identity, the source of our life, which is him. So when I pray for us today, I'm going to pray that we can receive that kind of koinonia. Um, Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, we are in partnership, koinonia, for the sake of the gospel. And this is not just feelings, it's action.
0: Yeah, let's pray together.
1: Father, thank you for reminding us who we are and where we came from, or who we could be.
0: Mm.
1: Thank you for reminding us that the, the individual is what you created, but we don't get to be an individual apart from you, your work in us, in our lives the uniqueness comes from you and not from us. That's true. And so we don't have to preserve it or defend it or explain it or define it. We just have to say yes to you. Father, I pray that our individual lives would come together in Koinonia with people who are hungry for you, who are trying to love you, trying to see what that means in, in day-to-day life, and that we could come together for the sake of the gospel, that it would do good to us so that we could do good in the world. Yes, Jesus. We could live lives that are different to make a difference, like Chris said. Maybe there's not enough strangeness in our lives, Lord to separate us out as the people of God. Or maybe we're just busy enjoying being strange instead of being effective. I pray, Lord, that you would touch each heart, that you would line us back up with your plumb line of truth, that you would amend us even as you're transforming us so that we could receive all that you are and that that would be how freely we give. That we would manifest in new ways how much we belong to you, your peculiar people. That's right. Father, thank you for continuously drawing us up into you, into maturing in Christ, into being purposeful in the way we live in being holy we depend on you not just to draw this line but to help us live to it lord yes lord by the power of your spirit cause us to be obedient yes lord in jesus name
0: jesus you said that we are the light of the world like a city set on a hill that we're to shine light that would draw people unto you. You also said that we're the salt of the earth, that we're to be worked into our society, into our workplaces and neighborhoods and schools and playgrounds, that we're to be worked in in a way that gives influence of the love and mercy of God, that works towards righteousness, that exalts the Lord. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to not be weird for weird's sake. But I pray that you'd help us to be what you made us to be, salt and light, ambassadors, representatives of Jesus who says to all those who would listen, be reconciled to God. And may you make us, Lord, in this day, in a, in a day of expressive, radical individualism. May you make us different by what you do in us and how you weave us together as your body. Help us as a church community here in Gwinnett County to be that kind of difference and to send people out from here all over the world that will be that kind of difference.